Chapter 5 I should have known that getting away from Elsie wasn't going to be as easy as I hoped. For a week or two, my former so-called best friend followed me home from school and hung around our front gate. Mother would look outside and see her, sad and pale, swinging forlornly on the gate and watching the house, as if waiting for me to come out and play. Elsie's out front again, Annie. She was here yesterday and the day before. Have you two quarreled? Not exactly. I just don't like her anymore. Well, she seems to like you. Can't you be a little kinder and invite her inside or go out and play with her? Why didn't Mother understand? If I went out there, Elsie would never go away. She and Father talked to me about it one night after dinner. It was a chilly evening and Father lit a fire, but my parents ruined the atmosphere by bringing up Elsie. I feel so sorry for her, Mother said. You'd think that you were her only friend. I was her only friend. I told you that no one at school likes her. She lies and cheats and tattles. <clears throat> Mother and Father looked at each other. So you dropped Elsie when you made friends with Rosie and Jane? Father asked. You don't understand, Father. I never really liked her. She made me be her friend, and then nobody else liked me. Are you sure Elsie deserves to be left out, Mother asked. She struck me as sad and lonely girl. It must have hurt her to lose your friendship. I'll be right back. I ran upstairs and pulled Antoinette's trunk out of the wardrobe. Lifting my poor battered doll from her hiding place, I carried her downstairs and laid her in Mother's lap. This is what Elsie did to Antoinette. I began to cry at the sight of my doll's ruined face. Oh, my goodness! Mother held up the doll for Father to see. Father shook his head. I admit I found her a bit odd the night I drove her home. She sat in the back seat whispering to Annie, secretive, I guess. I'm not surprised to learn that she has no friends. Oh, Horace, Mother said. Can't you be more compassionate? If you could see her out there swinging on our gate, gazing at our house as if she's longing to see Annie. She does it to make me feel bad, I shouted. She thinks I feel sorry for her, that she thinks I'll feel sorry for her and be her friend, but I won't be her friend no matter what she does. Father looked at me. Annie, don't raise your voice. I won't have it. Please apologize to your mother. I'm sorry, I said in a low voice. I shouldn't have shouted, but you just don't know what Elsie's like or how I feel. Mother shook her head as if she had no more to say about Elsie, stroking Antoinette's hair. She said, there's a doll doctor in the city. I'm sure he can make Antoinette look good as new. The next day, Rosie and Jane came with me after school. From the corner, we saw Elsie swinging back and forth on the gate, looking forlorn as usual. What's she doing at your house? Rosie looked at me as if she suspected I had harbored a secret friendship with Elsie. It's not my fault. I didn't invite her, I said. She shows up almost every day and waits for me to play with her. I never do. And after a while, she gives up and goes home. I'll fix her wagon. Rosie strode down the sidewalk with Jane at her side, begging her not to be mean. But sometimes mean was Rosie's middle name. Hey, get off that gate, she yelled. You're so fat, you'll break it. And then your hun father will have to buy a new one for the Browns. Elsie hasn't, hadn't seen us coming. Rosie startled her so badly, she almost fell off the gate. My father's not a hun. Herr Schneider, that's what people call him. They say he sells horse meat in his butcher's shop. Rosie stepped closer. 
maybe even dog meat. He saves the good stuff for his German friends. That's a lie. Ask my pop. He'll tell you. Everybody but you must know the truth about your old man. I glanced at Jane. She looked as surprised as I was. I'd never heard anything about the butcher shop except Schneider's high prices. Mother and father often complained about that, especially when mother cooked a roast full of fat and gristle, so tough it made my jaws ache just to chew it. You'd better leave me alone, as Elsie whined. Rosie laughed. Who's going to make me? I'll tell Annie's mother. Rosie stood face to face with Elsie, the gate between them. Without warning, Rosie shoved the gate and pushed Elsie back so hard she fell on the sidewalk. As she struggled to get up, she toppled forward and landed on her knees. While we laughed at her clumsiness, Elsie examined her torn stockings. Now I'm really telling. You'd better not tell my mother. I gave her a push, but not hard enough to knock her down. Elsie scrambled to her feet. I hate you, Annie, she was crying, and now her nose was running, and I wished that I hadn't shoved her. But then she spat in my face, and I forgot to feel bad. Cry, baby, Rosie shouted. Run home to Mama. We watched Elsie go, getting smaller and smaller, until she was no more than a distant dot. She had an odd way of running, clumsy, awkward, heavy on her feet, flapping her arms like a bird. Rosie spit on her palms and rubbed them together. She won't come back again. And Rosie was right, at least for the time being. A few days later, Rosie and Jane and I were walking home from school. We stopped at the grocery store to, to buy dill pickles bigger than hot dogs. Mr. Walker kept them in a barrel and sold them to us wrapped in wax paper. They were salty and sour and dripping with juice, but Rosie loved them, and so did Jane and I, though not quite as much as Rosie. Sometimes Jane and I would have preferred to spend our pennies on peppermint sticks or Turkish toffee or licorice, but if Rosie wanted pickles, that's what we got, because whatever she liked, we liked. On this particular day, we were talking about Elsie. Did you hear what she did to Polly today, Rosie asked. She stole the sandwich right out of her lunch bag, I said, and ate it at recess. I saw her stuffing it in her mouth like a starving child in Europe. When Miss Harrison asked who did it, everyone looked at Elsie, but she said it wasn't her. She's such a liar, Rosie said. Maybe she was hungry, Jane said softly. Sometimes she comes to school without a lunch bag. Haven't you ever noticed? Rosie and I looked at each other. I hadn't noticed, and neither had she. Yes, but Polly's the smallest girl in our class, Rosie said, and Elsie is the biggest. She should pick on kids her own size. Uh, there aren't any kids her size, I said. When Rosie laughed, I felt proud of myself. She's a typical hon. Rosie licked pickle juice from her fingers and threw the wax paper into the gutter. You know what Pop says about this flu people are getting? It's because of the Germans. They spread the Germans. That's why we never buy meat from Herr Schneider. He coughs and sneezes and spits on everything. He was born in Germany. Did you know that? Jane asked. It's why he's got that accent. Das war Herr Schneider talks so funny, Rosie said. Him and his buddy, Der Kaiser. We all laughed and started talking with German accents. Hey, Rosie said, if you promise to keep a secret, I'll tell you what my brother and his Mike and his friends did last night. After Jane and I crossed our hearts and hoped to die, Rosie beckoned us closer. They threw a rock through the butcher shop window, she whispered, and then they wrote, Kaiser Lover and Dirty Hun on the sidewalk. Jane looked worried. If anybody finds out what they did, they'll be in so much trouble. Rosie shrugged. 
They ought to get a medal, she said. Everybody knows Herr Schneider wants the Kaiser to win the war. I pictured Mr. Schneider, Herr Schneider, standing behind the meat case, wearing a blood-stained apron. He had the same squinty eyes as Elsie, but his nose looked like a big red potato stuck in the middle of his face. He could easily be a spy, a tattletale just like Elsie, only on a much bigger scale. Tattling war secrets to the Kaiser. Ooh, it gave me the shivers. Follow me. Rosie darted down Third, Third Avenue, and Jane and I at, ran after her. Where are you going? I shouted. To the butcher shop. Rosie laughed and ran on. Sure, we'd follow her. Jane shot me a worried look, but I ran so fast I caught up with Rosie and then dashed past her. Behind us, I heard Jane, wait for me. <clears throat> at the butcher shop, we saw a crowd of boys yelling insults. The Hun stood in the doorway wearing his bloody butcher's apron and shaking his fist. You boys, he yelled, I know who you are. I tell your parents. They pay for the busted window. A board covered the broken glass. On it, someone had painted H-U-N in huge, badly written letters. Rosie ran into the crowd and began singing our favorite patriotic song, and Jane and I joined in. Over there, over there, send the word, send the word, over there, that the Yanks are coming, the Yanks are coming, the drums, drums, drumming everywhere, so prepare, say a prayer, send the word, send a word to beware, we'll be over, we're coming over, and we won't come back till it's over, over there. We sang that song every morning in school right after we pledged allegiance to the flag, filled with patriotic spirit. We emphasized Yanks so Herr Schneider couldn't fail to get the meeting. It was such a good performance that the boys stopped jeering and sang with us. We didn't linger. Linking arms, we marched past Schneider's butcher shop and turned the corner. None of us, not even Rosie, wanted our parents to hear about our behavior. We hadn't gone a block before we saw Elsie coming toward us eating a chocolate ice cream cone. She didn't see us until Rosie ran past her and knocked the ice cream out of her hand. Jane and I ran after Rosie, and I bumped Elsie so hard she almost fell down. Hun, we shouted. Kaiser lover. We formed a circle around her. Something stinks, Rosie wrinkled her nose. Fee-fi-fo-fum. I smell the blood of a dirty hun. Around and around we went, trapping Elsie in a circle and chanting, Fee-fi-fo-fum. I smell the blood of a dirty hun. I'm telling Miss Harrison, she screamed. You better not, you big fat crybaby, Rosie yelled. We'll get you if you do. With that, the three of us broke apart and ran down the street around the first corner. When Elsie was out of sight, we sat down on the curb. We were hot and tired and thirsty. I'd have paid $10 for an ice-cold glass of Coca-Cola. Do you think she'll tell? Jane asked. So what if she does? Rosie asked. We'll just say she's lying. Everybody knows that she lies about everything. But what if Miss Harrison believes Elsie? Jane asked, with her forehead scrunched into wrinkles of worry. We sat there for a while, thinking about the trouble we'd be in if Elsie convinced Miss Harrison we'd bullied her. She'd probably call our parents, and our parents, well, none of us dared to picture the punishment that they might dish out for us misbehaving in public. Suddenly, Rosie jumped up. Oh, my golly, I have to go home, she said. Ma told me to mind Bridget after school, and I totally forgot. Jane and I watched Rosie dash down the street, her red hair flashing in the afternoon sunlight. She lived six blocks away on the other side of town. 
but Jane lived near me, so we walked home together. Sometimes I feel sorry for Elsie, Jane said. It mustn't be awful not to have any friends. She brings it on herself, you know. Even as I spoke, I remembered the way Elsie had looked at me, holding hands with Rosie, me, her former best friend, her only friend. I reminded myself of what she had done to Antoinette, but I couldn't erase the memory of Elsie's face, her mouth smeared with chocolate ice cream, the sugar cone lying on the sidewalk, a dribble of melting ice cream puddled around it. It's not her fault that her father's a German, Jane said. Nobody liked her before the war, I said. At least that's what Rosie said. I guess it's true. She's always been, Jane hesitated, trying to come up with the right word, different. I guess as if she doesn't quite know how to fit in. She's on the outside, like a game we used to play when we were little, go in and out the window. Nobody wanted her to be part a partner. No matter what game we played, she was always the last to be chosen. It was kind of sad, but by now we had reached Jane's corner. Before she turned to go home, she said, I guess Elsie will always be Elsie. Maybe we shouldn't pick on her so much. Maybe, I said. And she waved goodbye, leaving me to walk home alone. Jane was just too nice sometimes. Rosie wasn't about to stop picking on Elsie, and neither was I, even though I felt a bit guilty about it. I scuffled home through piles of fallen leaves, thinking about the coming weekend and what Rosie and Jane and I might do. Sometimes we roller skated down High Street, which was very, very steep and scary, but Rosie led the way and we followed. So far, I had plenty of scabs on my knees from the falls, but nothing worse. If we didn't feel like roller skating, we'd seesaw and swing in the park or play one, two, three O'Leary. Rosie and I either tied or one of us edged the other by one or two points. There were trees to climb and creeks to follow and woods to explore. If it rained, we'd go to the library and look for Tom Swift adventure books. Every once in a while, we found one that we hadn't read. Rosie liked Zane Grey Western novels, and we acted them out on the in the park, riding make-believe horses and shooting make-believe guns. Rosie always had ideas. She was never bored, and neither were we. She was the best friend I had ever had.